This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Good afternoon, Icon. We are continuing today in our walk through the book of John. So if you would turn with me to John chapter 12, we are going to start just with the first portion of this text, verses 12 through 22. The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign. Then the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So at this point in our text, the time of Passover was approaching and Jesus and his disciples were making their way from Bethany to Jerusalem. And news had gone out before them about Lazarus, this man that just with his words after being dead for three days, Lazarus come out and the impossible happened. He was alive. So the news had gone out about Jesus's miracle, about what he had done and reached the people at the festival. People who were gathering, people who gathered after hundreds of years of living under oppressive governments were welcoming in a celebration, someone who was giving them inklings and feelings that change may be coming. The people in their excitement and in their hope don't realize that Jesus is not the conqueror of their thinking. The people wanted, they needed to be saved, but they don't know exactly how or the depths that Jesus will go to in order to accomplish it. So as Jesus approaches the city, they prepare to welcome him in a way that is reflective of their hope and expectations in some very desperate circumstances. They greet him in this tradition of a king who would be returning after conquering in battle. So Jesus enters in this parade. 
but not on a war horse, which is how a king would typically come into the city, but instead he is riding this humble donkey. This is reflective of Zephaniah and Zechariah, these prophecies about this king coming into their city. And the people are crying, Hosanna, which is save us. Saying this about Jesus, that they want him to be the one to bring salvation, is also in effect them calling out the government and the religious institutions that have so far failed them. And while the horse for a conqueror riding into the city on that would symbolize dominance, instead we have this Jesus coming in on a donkey, something that instead symbolizes peace. So Jesus is not coming to save them or not coming to conquer in a way that is reflective of violence or force, what they have experienced before. Instead, he is moving with peace and with love, a different kind of strength, a different kind of power. This posture that Jesus enters into the city with is a way of him almost drawing a line in the sand. He could have entered Jerusalem in a less public way. He could have slipped in protecting himself. He could have come in without creating a fuss or an inconvenience. But instead his body moving in this public way, being cheered on by the chance of the crowd to save us, rescue us. His posture is a protesting of the powers of spiritual and physical darkness. How he is posturing himself here is very purposeful because at this point, the authorities are trying to put him to death. Who Jesus is, is an affront to political and social and religious leadership at that time. So entering a public space in the mode of a conqueror of peace is him defying his enemies. So many are drawn to him, which inevitably means that opposition and criticism arise at the same time. But the very thing that he is criticized about here is in fact, the reason why he came. And of course he is being criticized by those whose positions and power he is actually threatening. They scoff at him, look, the world has gone after him. The world here is this vague reference, of course, to everyone, but specifically all types of people. Jesus is not inclusive here. He is for all kinds to draw to. The Jewish people that Jesus come from are finding this to be very offensive. They want the savior to be just for them. And to them, it's evidence that Jesus is involving all, that he is not the right one. Jesus is offensive where he is declaring that others are not unclean or inferior to who they are claiming to be. How dare he include all shades, kinds, backgrounds, and types. John is really brilliant in how he composes his account in his book. He often includes these great callbacks and parallels. And here, this passage in 1219 is supposed to be reflecting John 316 where Jesus says of himself, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
So they don't even realize how prophetic they are being as they are calling back to this truth. What offends them is why he came. To love all, to provide liberation for all, and to break down all the barriers in order to make that possible. Who Jesus interacts with then first when he enters the city in this account also reflects this idea that he is here for all kinds of people because he's interacting with these Greeks. These specifically are Greeks who follow Yahweh, which means they cannot be apart because they are not Jewish in many of the modes of worship. They are left out still in terms of fully engaging in worship. But this is who Jesus entertains here. And the Greeks had this reputation for being truth seekers. While we are not given their specific question, his answer is this powerful unfolding of why he is here, how he's feeling about what is about to happen, and what that then means for those, for us who follow him and belong to him. Jesus recognizes at this point in the narrative that his time, the time of his sacrifice is approaching. And he reveals this to people who are not Jewish. A nod also to the barrier, the barrier between people groups and access to God is about to be coming down. The time is coming for all kinds of people to be able to have access to freedom. So he enters the city in this posture of resistance to the powers of darkness for all. And now in the next part of our text, he is going to unfold the depths that that will take. Verse 23 says, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This isn't just some random agricultural reference here. But Jesus is talking to Gentile Greeks, which means them being Greek, they would have been very familiar with paganism, which involves actually a very heavy concept of life rising out of death. So he speaks their language to give them better understanding. Jesus is saying, by death comes life. A seed dies to become wheat in order to become fruitful. It is unfruitful as long as it is preserved, as long as it is untouched or kept in safety and security. But if the sea is thrown into the harsh conditions of the ground and buried as if in a tomb, then it bears fruit. So in one way, Jesus is talking about himself. He is like the seed buried in the ground that will push through to life. He will forego all safety and security in order to lay his life down for the cause of the kingdom. His body, this sacrifice that will be crushed and torn apart by the forces and the powers of darkness. 
But he does this because he knows that by this death will come finally real life and freedom for all. So the death he's talking about is twofold. It is about him, how he will be, he will be delivering this powerful blow that will bring about freedom and unleash a light that in the end will never be able to go out. But this is also a death that he is calling us to, those that his death will secure life for. To bear his name is going to require that we will have to die to things, sometimes on a daily basis, and hate our life in this world. Following this Jesus, this Jesus whose very body and presence was so offensive to the government officials, to the ruling authorities, so much that they torture and they brutally murder him with no consequences. If that's who you are following, you bet that is going to cost you something. If you follow a Jesus who isn't asking anything of you, that is costly. In order for you to really have skin in the game and follow him, you are following a preppy, cushy, glowing flannel graph Jesus that you have created, one of your own making. You are following a mythical Jesus who rides into Jerusalem in a sparkly robe and beach waves and a soft smiling donkey in the celebratory parade, when actually we are following a Jesus who rides into Jerusalem, making a statement as a peaceful conqueror in a posture that is in defiance to the popular opinion and the powers that be. He expends priceless sacrifice for our liberation, not because he is weak, but because he is more powerful than we can comprehend. So you best believe that he gathers followers and says in your weakness, I will make you strong. And if you're going to be about the things that I'm about, it's going to take grit. Your Jesus should be requiring you to build upon him a grit and a resilience in how you follow him in this world. I'm not talking about a grit and a resilience for things that we create as being oppressive to us as Christians. Christians, we can be very prone to playing like there is a culture war against us. And then it's easier for us to maybe choose what we wanna fixate on, acting like we're persecuted in areas we are not. But here Jesus is talking about real grit and resilience because following him will many times look like opposition against real power. Even if that power is in government, church, or our longstanding social institutions. So being a part of who he is, this is going to require dying to things and hating of our lives. Now this hating of our lives does not mean to despise your life because your life is from God himself. And in that it has incredible value and beauty and dignity and meaning. Your life comes from his design. It comes from him breathing his breath, his ruach, his spirit into you. And so in that it is really precious. This also does not mean that this world is not worth our effort because really the rest of scripture would contradict that. Even in our text today, Jesus is reaffirming the incredible value 
of his call for us to be active within this space and in this world to try to push back darkness. He loves the world so much that he dies for it, so much that he places his precious children within it, knowing it will be a struggle. But really what he means here is that loving life in this world in this way that we are not supposed to is being motivated first by your own security, self-preservation, and power. So loving your life in this world can mean an unwillingness to put your voice, your resources, and your body in the line of fire to help usher in righteousness, true peace, shalom, and justice. Loving your life in this world can be crafting a bunker model of Christianity where you've insulated yourself and maneuvered scripture to back your own political personal interests. Loving your life in this world can be voting for people who protect your privileges and interests, even when they are abusing or oppressing vulnerable and marginalized image bearers. Loving your life in this world can mean many things, but baseline, it is a hoarding of your life for yourself. And Jesus is saying, you cannot be that way and follow me. It's one or the other. In Christ, you cannot be a hoarder of your life. Jesus's economy is different. Hate your life in this world to keep it. And hating your life is a forfeiting of your desires for the sake of God's kingdom. Hating your life is remembering that your life is not your own, that it is not meant to be spent first for you. Hating your life means you will forsake security, power, money, false religion, political affiliations, social connections, maybe even your places of belonging, if that is what is necessary in order to fully put on the identity of Christ in this space if that is what is necessary in order to push back against darkness and evil and make way for life and light. Hating your life for some of us right now might mean we are having to lose the security of foundational parts of our own upbringing and story. We may lose a sense of our identity because we have to put some things to death or maybe even question them. It may mean that some of us right now are losing relationships with people who led us, who taught us, who we respected, were close to, people who were foundational for our own formation. It may mean feeling unmoored at times as we are losing community or are maybe even suddenly unwelcome in our own families because of the division we are bringing. But this, is what our Jesus calls us to when he says, following me is going to require a hatred of the things of this world, a dying to produce fruit. And my friends, that cost at times may be hard and painful, but this is Jesus. This is worth it. And the world owes much to people, saints who were so in love with Jesus and sold out for his cause that they were willing to walk away from anything for him, no matter what it cost. People who spent their strength and being to give themselves to God and others. 
No doubt you may exist longer if you choose the easy way. If you avoid putting yourself in the line of fire, if you prioritize preserving what you have, you may exist longer, but you will never fully live. Not as God has said, I designed you to live this way. Our Jesus came into the world with a radically different view on life. And it is this view that we are supposed to adopt as his people and live out. Our world looks on glory as conquest, as acquiring power, as instituting law and order, as garnering wealth and resources. But Jesus looks on glory as a bloody cross and an empty grave, that by death comes life, that by hating life we keep it, that through service and humility comes greatness. So we spend our life here. We spend our life here because there is too much at stake if we do not. Jesus further explains this, starting in verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this, then went away and hid from them. Jesus here, his soul being troubled, he feels the weight, the high stakes of this. And John includes this passage that is meant to mirror Jesus's wrestling in the garden of Gethsemane. As he's trying to communicate what exactly is at stake when it comes to what he is supposed to do and accomplish, which is responded to by this thundering voice of God, what is at stake? God's glory is at stake. You reject God's glory when you shrink back. You reject God's glory when you modify your Christianity so you don't have to take any risks. You reject God's glory when you become insular in order to protect your own interests. You reject God's glory when you refuse to lay your being on the line for the things that are after God's heart and God's kingdom. Refusing to do those things is saying, my glory is of a greater value than God's. 
So for Jesus here, while the prospect of the cross is heavy and it's even appalling to him, shrinking back from obedience to the Father and not being about his glory first, that's worse. When you hold back from stepping into what God has empowered you to be and do as his child, you are not making a neutral choice. To not step into what God is saying, this is what I require of my children, that is to actively be against him. There is no space of neutrality in the kingdom of God. So Jesus stepping into death, right here, he is weighing the cost of what it will take to achieve freedom and break every power that holds us, to break every power that is in opposition to the heart of God. Jesus's obedience has a very high cost. So why, if we are bought at such an incredible price, why do we then do all we do to often make it more easy and less costly to follow him? We should also take heart as we read this. We should take heart when we read the spaces in scripture where Jesus is struggling with the weight of this. His humanity that John portrays should encourage our hearts because the one who knows us, the one is who is with us, he understands better than you could ever comprehend the weight, the fear, the struggle that you go through when you have to weigh these things, when you have to suit up and be ready to do what God calls you to do. And what helps Jesus here move from fear to doing is hanging on to a future hope of what this will accomplish. Jesus moves from tension to triumph by holding on to God's promises, holding on to this promise that his death will deliver the blow to the powers that keep the world in a state of captivity and decay. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. This word in the Greek for cast out refers specifically to being cast out from a holy place or from parts of society. So his death is the catalyst for the removal of sin and evil from spaces that we have deemed holy, but also from the various levels of our society. This hope that Jesus hangs onto is the same hope that we should hold onto as we push back against the powers of sin and evil. That should light our fire, but it should also bear us up when we can barely keep going. We labor for a future hope because we follow a God of promise who is actively restoring and renewing all things. The only one who is completely unable to fail, he is the one who has promised this. And in this time, in this in-between, we are the means for the casting out of the ruler of the world and the effects because we are Christ's body. We are his physical presence here and now. And the darkness fears you because of what you bring as a child of light, because you bear him. You bring a power that darkness knows will snuff it out forever. And at that, it trembles. Jesus says, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. 
He says, don't squander the opportunity to know me. For when you know me, you become children of light. And when you belong to Jesus, you don't pick and choose when you carry that light with you. It's not something that you are just supposed to access when you feel like you need it or when it might be helpful. Because of Jesus, your identity is light. I think often when we talk about light in this this context, we think of it more as this little light of mine. This darkness can feel so heavy and so thick. And then on top of it, we create this sense that we have this little baby light. It's weak, it's small. It's just this little flicker. Like what God has armed us with to charge into spaces of darkness is this tiny little thing. Because sometimes I think in our own spirits, it does feel that way. That we all we have is this little flicker, if even that. But we need to remember that this light that Jesus not just arms us with, but that is our identity, it is like this floodlight that's so bright you have to squint. It's this light that is a jarring onslaught, like the blinding sun when you've just stepped out of shadow. It is a light that is an adversary to the darkness. It blazes. And one must either stay in the light, adjust and make a home in it, or flee back into darkness. Darkness hates light, and it does not give up easily. It will fight tooth and nail, destroying all it can of the light to keep it out because light exposes, light brings forth life and to darkness, exposure and bringing forth life, that feels like an assault. So in this fight, if we as our identity are light, and we're bringing light, life, and liberation into darkness, death, and bondage. We almost have to have this mentality of going into battle because bringing light into darkness is a warring against the powers of oppression and corruption and hate. It is a resolve to war against the powers that are seeking to crush the image of God in others, even when that action may undo your own safety and security. If you are a child of light and you follow Jesus, you also are inviting the Holy Spirit in to expose where you are still loving the world and where you are refusing to be this grain of wheat that is buried in the ground. So with that too, invite the Holy Spirit. Invite the Holy Spirit to convict Where are you still being driven by self-preservation? Where are you withholding doing right to others because it will cost you something? Where do you have privileges that you just refuse to let go of? Where are you manipulating spiritual language to create excuses, maybe biblical excuses to stay out of this fight? Invite the spirit to work and read this book so that you become more familiar with the heart of God. Embrace a Jesus who says, following me is going to cost you, maybe everything. But also embrace a Jesus that says, there's hope and it's worth it. Because on the other side is liberation. On the other side is peace. On the other side is glory. 
On the other side is everything made new and right again. And friends, we must root our striving in who we are in Christ. Remember who you are and remember who you belong to. Some days that can feel distant, like a faint hope, but in Jesus, hope does not disappoint. So we have to cling to it whenever God offers it. Every inkling of hope he gives us in our days is a gift of his mercy to us, so don't miss it. Make it your rhythm to remind yourself of truth. Use scripture and use community and do not disengage with the people of God in these days because you need truth spoken over you. And also the next day, someone else is going to need you to speak this truth over them. This is us as the body of Christ together. In closing, Uh, Someone who I think embodied these things well is actually the man Paul. From what we are given of Paul, he seemed to embrace and as much as he could understand what it meant in his time and place to live in a way where he is willing to die to bear fruit, to hate life in this world in order to gain it to go into darkness with light and to work out what does it mean to fully identify with the price our savior paid as he's walking out in this world. So in closing, I want to read some of his words of instruction and encouragement that he writes initially to the church in Ephesus as they're dealing with their own struggle in dark days. Ephesians chapter five, verses eight through 13 says, For once you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Test what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, Get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the strength and the power of your sacrifice. And we thank you that while this is a one-time act, that this is something that daily bears us up. A Savior who gives all, gives beyond what we will ever fully be able to understand and comprehend in order to bring about life and light, freedom and liberation. And Father, we thank you that for those who you call your own, that this is the power that is not just behind us, but with us and before us. And so I ask for where our hearts are weary, that we would be encouraged and strengthened by that truth. I pray for us in the spaces where it feels like we are pushing so hard against the darkness that is, 
and it's having no effect that we would remember the truth of the strength and the power that is actually with us. One that in the end has already secured a full and final victory. Father, help us to be mindful of the ways in which we need to speak the truth of this over one another, that we would not isolate, but instead we would be remembering that together we are the body of Christ. Thus, we are meant to function in this together. Thank you that you do not call us alone, but that you call us as community under this banner. So give us hope, give us strength. We love you in your name. We pray. Amen. Please receive this benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, to him be glory both in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.